Hi, I'm Heather Knight, and this is the Surviving to Thriving podcast. One in four women will experience severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. We're going to discuss the taboo topic of domestic violence and the tools our thrivers have used to succeed in life. We want you to know that you are not alone in this fight. Please keep listening if you or anyone you know has been impacted by domestic violence. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to thank our sponsor, Night Protection Services for making this podcast possible and all the support they provide our cause. Hey guys, welcome back to a, another episode of Surviving to Thriving. Today I have with me Stacey O'Byrne. She is one of the nation's leading experts in entrepreneurial transformation, evolution, and success. Stacy is an international inspirational uh, speaker who specializes in successology, the science of success. Stacy has authored several best-selling books with a few more being released soon. Her co-authored book with Jack Canfield was released late February, 2020. And she also co-authored a book with Jay Abrahams, which was released late spring of 2020. Stacy is a trainer, best-selling author, certified NLP master trainer, Team Referral Network, San, uh, San Diego, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada, Orange County, and Long Beach, California franchise owner, and a U.S. Army veteran. Stacey has built two figure, two seven-figure businesses and three six-figure businesses, 100% from networking. She has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs, helping them create the success they desire and deserve. Stacy helps entrepreneurs, salespeople, and business owners make shift happen in their lives, businesses, and bank accounts. If you mean business about business, Stacy can help you make your dreams your reality. Stacy's passion is working with amazing entrepreneurs. Stacy, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. Of course. Now that is a lengthy bio, but is there anything else that you want our audience to know about you? You know, other than I am really appreciative of being here and excited about the show, uh, that's really it. I just, I like to show up and be of service and I'm excited to be here. Of course, I'm excited to have you. You know, this is going to be a hard episode, but I mean, that's what we do here on the show. So I am, you know, really looking forward to learning about how you're using your story to inspire other people. So let's get right into it. I like to start off asking my guests, what was life like for Stacy between the ages of, you know, 14 to 18? What was high school like for you? <laughs> you know, I, uh, I had a very colored past. How about we say that? I, I grew up in an upper middle class family in an upper middle class neighborhood back in Pennsylvania. You know, we had the picket fence, we had the, the two-story house, the built-in pool, and everything was great until my mother uh, met a woman, and this is, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, and I uh, left my father for her. My dad was already an alcoholic, but I guess that really just pushed him over the edge, and he became rip-snotting alcoholic and then very abusive. So, you know, the girl next door, the, the, whole, the, the whole illusion of having the, the perfect life was external because internal, it was a daily nightmare. He was always drunk, physically abusive, and crossed the line multiple times uh, inappropriately from a sexual perspective. And I lived in fear. 
You know, he broke my ribs, broke my nose. He threw me across the house. Every time I came home, he had a different woman in the house. My, my brother was his trophy. And I was the reminder of my mother. And uh, I paid for it daily. And I ran away multiple times. And I was a straight-A student. It was never good enough. I was an all-star athlete. was never good enough. You know, my, my brother, he was lucky if he got C's. And he was my dad's rock star. He was my dad's trophy. And uh, for me, it was it was living a life of feeling like I was never enough. I was never good enough. And all I ever wanted was his his kudos, his attention, his pride. And uh, never got it. Instead, I always got a fist or a backhand. Or and uh, I went down a very colored path of drugs. That's how I hid. And I ended up getting addicted to crystal meth and I didn't sleep for days. I, I got caught up with a wrong crowd on the streets. I joined a gang and and uh, I, I went down a pretty, pretty hard path. And, you know, he'd give me black eyes, bloody nose, break my nose and then tell my family that it happened because uh, I was in the wrong crowd and it always happened at home. You know, the, the, my, my street family really was my family and uh, they'd come and you know, I climb out my window every night and uh, they take me away from the pain and um, then one day one of them took me to my great aunt's house and said she's going to kill herself you need to do something with her and my great aunt knew where my mother was and she picked up the phone and called my mom and said you need to take your daughter he's going to kill her or she's going to kill herself and my mom did. They put me on a plane and flew me from Pennsylvania to San Diego. And for me, it was a new life in so many ways because back East and West Coast are totally different philosophies, totally different mentalities. And, and I thought it was going to be a new life. However, the one thing that I learned really quick is where you go, you follow. And everywhere you are, that's where you're at. So even though I had 3,500 miles between me and my past, my past still came out to San Diego with me. I still ended up finding drugs because I couldn't hide from it. I couldn't, I couldn't sleep. I ended up getting involved with the wrong people. And, and I say that in air quotes because they really weren't the wrong people. They were my mirrors. You know, they, they gave me the, the ability to to see who I was so that I could move through it and I was choosing not to. And um, I still got straight A's. I, I, I don't know how I passed school the way I did. I never opened a book. And um, when I was in my senior year, I had friends that owed me an immense amount of money because I, I dealt to support my habit. And one of the girls who owed me a little over $25,000, who was a friend of mine, uh, her dad was a narc. He, he was a cop, and I didn't know it. And she, she owed me money, and I was running out of drugs, and I was an addict. And that, that combination was very lethal. And I pulled a gun out on her, and I told her, you have till tomorrow to get me my money or you're dead. And uh, she got her dad involved, and I ended up in a rehab. Uh, the dad came to my mom's house and basically just said, Stace, it's jail or rehab. And my mom had no clue I was using. I hid it from her. And um, I ended up in rehab. I ended up in an, in, in an adult rehab. And the adult rehab told my mom, 
after being there for 30 days, the state found out I was there and they had to emancipate me or move me out of it. And they told her that if she emancipated me, I could check myself out. So that's when they moved me to the Scripps Adolescent McDonald Center. And uh, I spent another 90 days in there. And after six months of rehab, I was clean. And when I got out, all my friends thought they were sending me into rehab to learn how to do drugs recreationally, when in reality, I was learning how to live life outside of drugs. So they lost their dealer. So they all tried to get me to relapse afterwards, which was really funny. And um, I ended up joining the Army to get away from it all. And from that point forward, uh, I learned a lot about myself and, you know, I, and I experienced some things after that that taught me even more about myself. And that was kind of me in a nutshell. You know, I, I've heard the whole adage that steel sharpens steel. Well, reality is rock sharpens steel. So, so no matter how hard or edgy things seem, just know that they're preparing you for life. It's preparing you for your story and it allows your mess to be your message, so to speak. Wow. That is, I'm sitting, as you're telling us, I'm imagining this is your life story, but this all happened before 18. Yeah. And that's just like, wow. And then, but it's, it's wow, because like, we're sitting here talking about this, right? Like a lot of people don't get out of that, don't move past that. Like, have you been able to kind of like, look back at that whole time period of your life and wonder and, and kind of like pinpoint the people and the things that really saved you from like going down that path and, and staying there. I mean, obviously getting in trouble can be a huge eye opener for a lot of people, right? For from 13 to 17, you never got caught, right? You know, you never, <laughs> until you get caught, you're like, you think you're invincible, right? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. you know, so yes, getting in trouble has a huge part of that. But like that mindset of, you know, getting into rehab and then sticking with the sobriety after that, do you think back of like, how did you all of a sudden make that switch of, this is it. This is why I'm going to stick to my sobriety because the first time didn't stick, right? When you moved from the East Coast to the West Coast, you were probably sober during that time point or time frame, but then again, still found those drugs. So like that last moment of where you're like, I'm, d I'm done. What was that feeling like? What was that process like for you? So for me at that time frame, I was also coming out and there was... My, my best friend also just so happened to be someone who I, I thought I was in love with at that time. Love is just so weird, right? And she had put an immense amount of ultimatums on the table. And, and so I never loved myself enough to do it for myself. It was the threat, the ultimatum, the, the fear of losing her that actually put it on the table that, that, that shook me. However, reality is, I learned the hard way doing it for someone else is never the way to do it. Because when that relationship separated after I joined the military, you know, she lived, she moved on with her life and found someone else. That the catalyst that held me to, to doing it or just staying clean, staying sober disappeared. And because it disappeared, there had to be new reasons. And I was lucky because the military pissed tests all the time. 
So, so it was kind of really hard to relapse in the military. However, there was that opportunity on a continual basis, but then you saw people get in trouble, get Article 15s, get thrown in Leavenworth. So all of that, being 18 now and being a legal adult, created enough fear to keep me clean. But I got faced with other demons very, very quickly that shook that foundation and forced me to find reasons within myself instead of external. You know, I, I did have significant relationships through that period. You know, my great aunt, her, her name was Reba, who had kidnapped me from my father. She was the catalyst of it all. I, I recently lost her about a year and a half ago. And uh, she was she was my angel. She was my lifesaver. If it wasn't for her, I, I wouldn't be alive. And there were very key moments in life where, where people, gifts were put in front of me to help me get through very specific moments and help me hold on to them because I was incapable of finding anything within myself at that time to hold on to. Yeah. And I think it's just so incredible how the universe or God or, you know, whatever you believe in puts these things in your path. Mm -hmm. And yes, it's up to you to choose to take them, but it's, you know, like it's there for you to take, you know, it's not just, and even if you don't ask for it, right. Then not once, you know, where you like, all right, this is the end for me because you really thought that, you know, being on the street was better than where you were, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, probably was at the time, you know, minus the, you know, becoming addicted to drugs, but, you know, being out of that situation probably was better, but then being able to, and so, you know, never asking for like, you know, get me out of the situation, put me back where I was like all of these things, but still those people were put into your life. And it was just like a, a immediate, like, I, I actually did an interview yesterday with somebody where it's like, if the universe has a path for you and you keep pushing it, it's going to force you down the path that it wants you to go down. And so it was kind of like that, that force where somebody is, you know, the, the universe is just like, nope, this is where we're going and this is what you're going to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> so this is all, you, I'm guessing you're like 20 now in this. 18. 18. Okay. So, and you've joined the military and you've done that. And I know the military story, but obviously the listeners don't. So let's kind of go into that. How, you know, was, was it immediately that it happened or were you in the military for a while before the, you know, all this occurred? Yeah. So the, the, this that you're referring to, I was raped twice in, in the army. And, um, what, what most civilians don't know is one out of every three women are, are sexually, uh, assaulted in the military, non-combat and combat. And uh, for me, it, uh, the first time it happened was uh, during training. It was in my AIT, my advanced training. So I was probably, what would that have been, three, four months into the military. I joined in July, it happened in October. So whatever that time span is, because I went to basic training in, in, in the summer. So, uh, I was raped by a fellow student soldier, and uh, it was our first weekend pass. And it, I 
I kept blaming myself and the 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 guilt that overwhelmed me. And then and then on top of it, I dealt with a huge identity crisis because I was a lesbian. I'd never been with a man, and had known all my life that I was not heterosexual. I struggled with coming out though. So I had all of this overwhelming me as far as my identity crisis and everything like that. And then when I reported it, when we came back from Weekend Pass, uh, I got in trouble. <laughs> it was a male command, and I'm the one that got in trouble because he denied it. They sided with him, and it got pretty ugly after that for me. And, uh, you know, the, the way that trainees get punished is more push-ups and, you know, more guard duty and more cleaning duty. So I ended up having to always clean the barracks and do the floors and toothbrushes on the tiles. And I could go on and on. So I was punished for ever saying anything that actually really made me uh, reclude more into myself, which was really bad for me because I was already introverted. I already had trust issues. I had never dealt with with everything that I had been through with my father. I dealt with it on a very micro scale in the rehab, but not at the level I really needed to at that time. So it just made me trust people less. And then uh, when I got stationed at Fort Sill, my, my first duty station, it uh, my, my second rape happened about a year into the military and it was from my sergeant and we had, uh, we were in a situation where we were, you know, all personally having fun and it turned quick after that. And um, from that point forward, I, I really lost myself. I hated everyone and everything. And it was really just a projection of how I felt about myself because I blamed myself for that. And I could never turn him in because he was my NCO. He was my sergeant. You know, so I got out of that duty station really quick. I ended up in Korea and uh, I was pretty lucky because our first sergeant in Korea was pretty progressive. And because he was so progressive, he put all of the lesbians in one room together so that we could protect each other. And he knew about this, even though we weren't supposed to exist in the military at that time. He was a, he, 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 he protected us that way. So being in a room with them, I ended up getting really comfortable with, with myself because I, I, saw, I, I saw how we could live openly within our room. And uh, after Korea, I got stationed at Fort Ord. We then were the first to deploy during Operation Desert Shield. So I, I've seen a lot that I've never wanted to see, no human should ever see. And I've done things that we're not supposed to do. When I got out of the military, I was graciously diagnosed from the military with PTSD. And the way the military serves PTSD is very unfavorable, in my humble opinion. You know, between the 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 military sexual trauma, the MST, PTSD, and then just the combat trauma of PTSD. They, they do what's called exposure therapy. And exposure therapy is where they have you relive it over and over and over and over and over. However, I kind of fast forwarded a little bit. When I got out of the military, even though I was diagnosed, it never meant anything to me. Because the one thing that, that they tell you is if you have it, you're weak. 
and being being an all-star athlete, being all-army softball and all-army basketball weakness was not something I ever considered myself. So I never pursued treatment, but let's, let's be realistic. Things in life leave clues. Success leaves clues. Trauma leaves clues, right? Everywhere I went, I followed. So I, I would blow up relationships. I couldn't be in a relationship any longer than then four weeks, six weeks, six months was a really long time for me. And, you know, everybody used to joke that I had commitment issues. Reality was I had relationship issues and it was self-relationship. It wasn't relationship with others. I started drinking really heavy. It was kind of one of those things where no longer did drugs, but let's face it, I drowned myself in alcohol, but not to the point to where I would be considered an alcoholic because I'm a really big lightweight a uh, couple beers and I was drunk. So I just stayed drunk off a couple beers. And even though I had the tendencies of being an alcoholic, I really didn't drink enough to, to scare anyone. And uh, I was just always drunk. And and then I, I started climbing the corporate ladder really quick because the military taught me how to ask a lot out of myself. The military taught me what 100% felt like and looked like. So I learned that Becoming a workaholic and burying myself into work was just another drug. So I couldn't drink but while I pursued success. So I buried myself in school, buried myself in work. And then the second I got triggered and I would explode, that's where my PTSD would show up in. And that's when I realized I started becoming suicidal again because I kept getting triggered and kept getting triggered. And that's when I pursued help with the VA. And that exposure therapy made it worse. And, you know, for people who don't know the statistics, I believe it's one one soldier every three minutes commits suicide or something like that. I and um and the 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 statistics weren't hitting me. I was very numb to them. I wasn't afraid to die. I mean, you kind of get programmed like that in combat. And and for me, I I started inserting myself in an immense amount of professional development. And I found while I was sitting in professional development, I would get emotional personally. And I couldn't figure out why I'm learning how to close in sales and I'd start bawling in the back of the room. And then one day the trainer walked up to me and he looked at me and he goes, you're prior military, aren't you? And I said, yeah. How do you know? And he goes, you have PTSD, don't you? And I said, yeah, how do you know? And he goes, because I do too. And he said, you ever wonder why when I'm talking about closing, you're in the back of the room crying? And I said, it, the thoughts crossed my mind. And he said, it's because I'm speaking to your unconscious mind and your unconscious mind hears me. He goes, look into this study. And it was neurolinguistics programming. And, you know, this is pre-Google. So I had to do a lot of legwork to find it. <laughs> And I did. And I inserted myself in a class and everything started making sense. And uh, that's really where my healing be became. Because I realized that all my life I allowed myself to be a, a victim to circumstances. And reality is, I may not ever be able to control my environment. However, I control how I respond to my environment. And I can control the before the environment ever happens. So I started realizing that although what happened to me was never my fault, I started looking for 
what choices I made beforehand so that I could learn from my behaviors which attracted the situation so that I could avoid repeating them in the future so I'd always end up with different circumstances. And, you know, the one thing that I've learned is no matter how trained we are, we still test ourselves. You know, like a prime example, I had built a multi-million dollar business and re-attracted my father, metaphorically speaking. And the guy annihilated me financially, embezzled everything from me. And I knew going into it, he was not good for me. And I did it anyway. And reality is, it's the best thing that ever happened to me because I learned a lot more about myself that I pushed away for so long. So that was kind of everything in a nutshell. Wow. And I'm just processing (laughs) everything. (laughs) No, No, it's good. It's good. You know, there's all of these little nuggets that are in there that, you know, you've taken to go, you know, like use your situation to, you know, benefit yourself. And then on top of that, then benefit other people, right? Because as we're going to get into soon, you not only, you know, learned all of these things to help yourself cope, you're now teaching other people how to do this and how to, you know, thrive in their own lives, which I think is just incredible that, you know, you go from this, you know, scared 13 year old girl to who you are today. And I think that that is just amazing. If you or anyone you know has been victimized by domestic violence, please reach out to us for resources and ways our organization can help you. You can find us on social media at 2thrivingatl, T-O thriving ATL, or online at 2thriving.org.